0: General
1: nerdery. On the world of Crin, the gods are long lost, the evil dragons have returned, and the One Hope is the most generic pop fantasy heroes of all time. But it's kind of hard to hold it against them because they're generic because every other pop fantasy heroes were based off these motherfuckers.
0: Yay, we're going to talk about Dragonlance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to General Nerdery, a podcast about liking things. And I did really like these,
0: despite my just insulting them. (laughs) That's good to hear, especially because I love them. I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. We're happy you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I was lost for a second. Like, oh, yeah, we just already said we're doing Dragonlance. I don't need to say that again. Oh, my God. We should be talking now. Uh, but before we dive into Dragonlance and before we even
1: dive into the news, what have you been ingesting this week?
0: All right. So this week, once again, is like two days since the last time we recorded. Yeah, guys, we cannot keep a recording schedule to save our fucking lives. That's on me usually. Usually. So there hasn't been much in those two days. <laughs> but the, the two things... I'm going to try not to rant a long time about, but one of them, I one of them's a little bit of cross-pollination because it ties into the other podcast I do, Fried Squirms. And the other, I just... <sighs> so if you listen to this a bit, and especially over the past year, it's very obvious that I, I've been playing a lot of For Honor. Haven't brought it up as much recently because... I haven't played in like a month because there was going to be a big update that overhauled the combat system coming out. I remember you talking about it. It just came out. So you've been playing a lot of it the last couple days. No, I oh. read the patch notes and intentionally stayed away from it for four days. And then <laughs> I'll come back after the kinks are worked out. Finally, dipped my toe in last night. It, it doesn't. It's not as bad as as the patch makes it out to be. But they were just dumb dumbs about it and I could go off on this for le- at at very long length yeah. but they tried to standardize a lot of things in that game that can't be standardized and they brought in a new hero that's feats are completely OP and once the hero is more widely bought, we'll probably completely break the, the 4v4 game system.
1: That's not uncommon when they introduce new characters in video games, especially that kind of video game of, like, not storyline, but just mm-hmm. mm, let's do some fighty fights. They're either super
0: OP or super, I guess, UP, underpowered. Uh, the, the, the the hero themselves are is fine. They have feats that are way OP. That's mm-hmm. the thing. They'll patch the shit out of it. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah. It is a lot of fun right now, as long as you're playing as that character. (laughs) Um, But the the biggest disappointment was they did some testing grounds to try to figure out the changes that they were going to make, like, a month and a half ago. And the testing grounds were, like, three times as good as the patch that they just dropped. Bummer. Yeah. You never want the beta to be better than the delivered product. Oh, dear. Yeah, so that's sucky because I like that game. <laughs> uh, the other thing, like I said, I normally don't cross-pollinate too much, but I have to bring this up because it is one of the most entertaining like, entertainment stories uh, that got we got two bad movies out of. Oh. Or one's bad, one is... Not as good as we want it to be. Not as good as it should have been. Okay. Uh, back in 2004, they were going to do a prequel to The Exorcist. It was titled Exorcist The Beginning. Uh, they had one director that they tried to get. He turned it down. They were still in the process of trying to get him back onto the project when he died. So they hired somebody else. Paul yeah, that's going to make it hard. Got Paul Schrader. He shot most of the movie. They even put out a teaser trailer. And then the production company got cold feet, shelved the movie and spent a shit ton of money to bring in a new director and completely reshoot the film using the same bones in the... It's technically a new script, but it was based off of the... The same spec, different script. And they even retained some of the actors. That's so, gonna suck for the actor to be like, all right,
1: we think everything you did sucked, but, you know, whatever, stay.
0: So the director they brought in was Rennie Harlan, who's... uh five-time Golden Raspberry nominated director. Oh, no. Oh, that's a lot of Golden Raspberries. (laughs) They put out that version, which they retitled into Exorcist the Beginning, even though that's what the first one was called. Put it out. It did terribly. So terribly that they then decided to put in the money to finishing the first version and putting that out. (laughs) When it was also not very good. (laughs) It's better. Bet yeah. It's just that it wasn't as reliant on... It wasn't as uh, traditionally scary like jump scares. Mm, okay. It was a little bit more cerebral. They Does The Exorcist
1: need a prequel is really where I'm starting here? Like, it's not... Uh, no, not really. Uh, it's not something I know great, but that doesn't seem like there's a huge origin story waiting to happen there.
0: So, the, yeah. So, they put out Exorcist the Beginning in 2004 or 2005. I can't... One of those two. And then then the very next year put out the original version of the movie, which they then retitled into being Dominion prequel to The Exorcist, uh, edited in a slapdash manner because they weren't willing to pay the original director that much money to finish it up to the point where it didn't even have a soundtrack, and he had to cobble together a soundtrack uh, using leftovers from the first movie and original music by an alternative metal band that his son was into. The and Exorcist, it's the better version.
1: The Exorcist <laughs> sounds, like, canon-wise and everything behind the scenes-wise, even fucking crazier than the Halloween movies. And I once went down the rabbit hole of reading the, like, mm. canon of the Halloween movies. and Which has now changed again as of this last movie. Oh, yeah. Often, like, four times they've been like, let's just not...
0: Talk about... Th- it's like Highlander. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so that happened, and I watched both of those movies twice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds like a really bad day that I'm sure you enjoyed a lot. It was
0: not fun. <laughs> um, Exorcist the Beginning has one of the dumbest jump scares I've ever seen in my entire life, where a hyena jumps out of a well and grabs a monkey. Okay. How did the hyena get in the well? That's a great question. I think the answer is supposed to be Satan. How deep is this well supposed to be? Satan deep. Ah, okay, so we're just going to. Oh, gonna no, go no. With actually, that well isn't supposed to be like a Satan deep well. It's just like the normal village well in the middle of the fucking. African so village. this hyena leapt like 50 feet straight
1: up, grabbed a monkey, and went back in? That's. That just... No, it
0: didn't go back in the well. Then it it tore the monkey to shreds in front of some kids and then turned on one of the kids along with other hyenas that just sort of it's came out of the less interesting
1: than I wanted it to be. <laughs> I wanted the story of this oh, no, mad jumping
0: hyena. It's real dumb. <laughs> it's just real dumb. So if you want to hear me talk about that more, go check out Fried Squirms in like a week. But the fact that that happened with those movies is astounding. So there's two prequels to The Exorcist. And neither one is worth it. Dominion's a lot more worth it than Exorcist, the beginning.
1: Are the sequels even worth it? Is Exorcist one that's worked
0: ever past The Exorcist? Uh, number Exorcist 3 is interesting, at least, because it was still done by the same director uh, as number one, and I think the script was uh, also done over by the same guy. Mm-hmm. And so at least it had some of the same DNA and ideas going into it, but it's none of them were as strong as the original to begin with. So, I mean, that's kind of unfair to try to me- measure up to the exorcist. But. That's fair. Yeah. Let's see. I got in a
1: continuation of dark Knight's metal. Um, we mentioned at the end of it, the new age of heroes, which was where they're like, let's let a bunch of artists make their own books and then go on, uh, a book called the unexpected. It was, they did like a secondary launch of new age. They had like our original four or five. And then we're going, like, let's do a few more. And it turned out just as terribly, not bad books, but, Uneven creative teams, because they're like, we'll hire, in this case, Cary Nord, who did a bunch of the Dark Horse Conan books. Like, he's a great artist. He did the Exo Man of War relaunch. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, We'll have him make this superhero team for DC. He'll run the book. And then, surprising no one, he quit two or three issues in, because Cary Nord doesn't finish a whole lot of stuff. Uh, and it's Kerry Nord and Steve Orlando was doing the writing, and he's the one that actually stuck around the whole time. Steve Orlando did the Midnighter mm-hmm. series that we talked about recently. Uh, great creative team, right there. Real interesting cover. Using two new characters and reworks of two older characters of Neon the Unknown and Firebrand, mm. which I like both of those just based off the names, but the characters themselves never did anything that interesting. Mm-hmm. Firebrand was in Crisis on Infinite Earths, and that's like her high point of history. Right. But what I was excited for was the two new characters because. One's a big orc looking fucking dude. And the other's called the Viking judge. And she's like full on insane, uh, kind of Thor looking thing. Okay. And I'm like, yes, everything about these two characters. I want to know so much. And then spoiler, they killed both of the two new characters in the first issue. And I'm like, God damn it. And they're like, Oh, we'll bring in Hawkman. It'll be great. I'm like,
0: no. Okay. So I like Hawkman, (laughs) but fuck you. (laughs) Bringing in Hawkman does not make things great. No, that, that is the first season of Legends of Tomorrow.
1: Ask the first at most every time Hawkman shows up. I like Hawkman mostly because I think his design is super strong. And like the idea reincarnated Prince is real strong. Maybe aliens are involved. No one really understands. That's fine. I tried to explain to CC yesterday the uh, origin of Hawkman mm-hmm. because she went, is that guy called Hawkman? And I'm like, Yes, how do you know that? And she's like, because he has a hawk on his chest. I'm like, You're like, well... Oh, shit, okay, you didn't act... I thought you were being a weird smartass, because I forget <laughs> that most people don't know who Hawkman is. And I really, like, this is bad. I'm going to try to explain this. And she was just, like, real quick, like, oh. Oh, they had no idea what they were doing.
0: <laughs> That's <get>. right. <laughs> and then a Thanagarian snare beast. Thank you, John Peters. Who fucking knows? <laughs> yeah. Just roll with it. Um... Uh, <laughs>
1: But yeah, that's what, that's what I got. I only, as we said, it was two days ago. I only got so much time on my hands.
0: Yeah. Uh, We do have like a week's worth of news though. Yep. So let's get at it. First thing, we have a new picture that is our best look yet at the principal cast of The Watch. And they
1: actually finally proved that they were going to do things like trolls in it. They gave a little more info on it because I sent you this one. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was really unclear before how actual fantasy this world was going to be. And looking at it now, oh, pretty goddamn fantasy. That That is is clearly a giant
0: rock troll, man. It's a really... I'm now a lot more interested in this just to see what they do with keeping up this aesthetic. Because it looks like they're trying to go for a mix between... It could be modern times from any time between late eighties to now mixed with fantasy.
1: Well, the original, the original disc world, especially in the like later half of it became a very big mix between like Victorian London, especially the ink, more pork right. heavy ones with generic fantasy mixed in with whatever weird shit Terry Pratchett came up with that day. But this one
0: doesn't seem to be doing Victorian London as much. It seems to be doing gen- like gritty police drama mixed with generic fantasy. Which could be fucking great. This series still, ha- even
1: though I'm really nervous about all of the changes they've made from the actual, this is what the watch is. Uh, it looks like it could be a really good fantasy series. Because I love when you cross genre with fantasy. Mm -hmm. I don't really care. Horror fantasy is really easy, but like I would love a like noir fantasy, like green Hornet. Yeah. Fantasy, like not green Hornet himself specifically, but like, although that'd be cool. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) But that kind of like pulp noir hero character mixed with fantasy. Ooh, there is some potential there. I have looked into making podcasts about it, but I am not a great fiction writer (laughs) or writer of any kind. I make this shit up as I go along
0: yeah i'm i'm interested to stu- th- this has me more interested to see how it's shaping up not that i was disinterested before but getting to see more of it it's like oh okay cool i now this is a little bit more what they're going for now well, um, my brain's primed a little bit
1: i was curious how you were going to look at this now that because when we first started talking about it you hadn't read any of, of the night watch Nightwatch. So, yeah and now you've only read the first one you read guards guards but I was—I knew that was going to change how you saw stuff a little bit. Like uh, their their carrot seems too small. He's way too small. But I'm also not sure where to find a carrot the size of.
0: Yeah, unless they're hiring uh, fucking Thor, the yeah. fucking mountain.
1: Like he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger size, but actually has to be able to act. And finding that mix and making them young too—that's mm-hmm. that, asking for a lot. Their Vimes looks good. Vimes looks great. Vimes looks like fan Exactly how I'd want him to be, yes.
0: Yeah, no, I'm... It'll be interesting to see how that aesthetics played across an entire world. It could go horribly... This whole show could go horribly wrong. Don't get me wrong.
1: I'm excited by nature, so... <laughs> I'm looking forward to this, but I'm also fucking
0: terrified... Absolutely. ...of this series, like... <laughs> That's the thing. I'm more excited, but I'm not any less scared. Mm-hmm. That's where it's currently at. Yeah. Uh, this is amazing. Never thought I was going to see this coming. I see the picture. I... Uh, Christopher Eccleston is going to be reprising his role as the doctor uh, for the Big Finish audio dramas is the caveat there, but...
1: I never thought I'd see this. We talked about this when they first announced the new Big Finish audio drama setup, And I was like, no way they're getting fucking Eccleston back. Because he he did not leave on good terms. And for a few years, it got increasingly worse, his opinions of the terms. Yeah. Um, and actually, I read his interview where he was talking about this. Or one of the more recent interviews. I think he wrote a book recently or something uh, like I that. Think- some
0: kind of memoirs that came out. I think it was like came out. five years ago or so that it came out. But um, maybe maybe it was sooner than that. I think
1: it was more recent. Because I think it was
0: more recent because oh, because part of the things that were... Yeah, it was definitely more recent. I'm not sure how recent it was. But a couple of the things that he said were from about five years ago. That's what I was remembering. Because he was real dark on the opinion
1: of Doctor Who. And then he got blacklisted by the BBC for a while after that. So he lost a lot of work because of a series that he really looked forward to making, but didn't get along with some of the Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat, from what
0: I can tell. Although it seems like he loved Moffat's scripts. He just didn't like Moffat. Yeah. That's fair. Moffat sounds like he's
1: a difficult human being.
0: Yeah, I did. Once this news came out, I did quite a bit of reading of, of some of his different interviews myself. It sounds like he loved Moffat's scripts. Uh, he loved a couple of the directors, and even with his problems with Davies, if some of those directors would have been hired on to do more episodes, he might have stuck around longer. God, that would. Have, I mean, I'm so
1: glad we got David Tennant, and I don't know if we would have if it went later. But, but God, I would have loved more Eccleston.
0: Well, and here's the other thing that maybe even if he would have been willing to go longer, based on if those if those directors would have gotten more work with Doctor Who or not probably wouldn't have been a good thing for him at the time is what it sounds like because he's also um, started to speak out more about the different mental health issues he's had over the years and he he feels a lot of the reason that he got the role of the doctor is because of how good he looked as the doctor which was a result of his anorexia Oh, no. Oh, I didn't know that. I was going to say, he did
1: look good as the doctor, but not... I never necessarily thought, like, because he was super skinny. But you're right. He was bones at the time. That's really interesting. We don't hear males, men, male actors talk about anorexia that often. Like, when we hear about anorexia, we usually talk hear about women talking about the, like, unhealthy mm-hmm. visual... Uh, physical standards we hold them to. And that's a really true thing. I don't mean to understate that at all, but I think it's really important to have people like Eccleston men talk about the fact that they have this too, because this is something that happens to both to, to
0: everyone. And men don't like talking about weakness. Um, and then I think l- much later on, on the set of a different show, he he became a bit suicidal and, and sought out mental help. And- Good and has been working a lot more on himself lately, it probably helps coming back to Doctor Who that he doesn't have to appear as the Doctor. Yeah, I'm sure that helps. He did have a comment
1: that I really appreciated where he said one thing he enjoyed about Doctor Who was the fans, because the fans just, no matter what frustrations he had behind the scenes, the fans have been universally good to him for the most part. And that's so nice to hear about people who have a good relationship with the fans, because it's so easy to hear about the people that have dog shit relationships with the fans. Like, if Jodie Whittaker quit and was like, hey, I'm pissed at like, the fans have drove me away, I'd be like, 100%, lady, I get you. Mm-hmm. They are real mean. So it's nice to hear, like, fans are fucking great.
0: I'm willing to do conventions now, which I was not before. Um, yeah, and it's also man, reading those interviews with him, like he, even though he had a fallout with Davies, he left the show saying like, look, I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize the show. Cause I believe in it, which is why he didn't say anything for good or for ill about the show after he left for so, so long. Mm-hmm. Cause he was sort of trying to do his best to uphold his side of the bargain. But then the BBC was shitty to him in return. And
1: <sighs> well, and there was, as I said, I've always gotten the sense that he liked the show and even, If he disagreed with Davies, that doesn't mean he didn't, you know, like things that were happening. Because he has talked about stuff he thought was good. And he has spoken very highly of Billy Piper. Mm -hmm. So he definitely, like, didn't hold... It's not that he hated everything. It's just the stuff that wasn't working. Really
0: wasn't working.
1: Yeah. And that happens. Creator, There are people who I do not like and who do not like me. And it does not mean that they're shit people or I'm shit people. It means personalities didn't work and man just imagine
0: having that when you're doing not just a job but a very creative job well another th- i mean the other that he does come off a bit haughty in a couple of his interviews because he likes to point out that like at that point he was probably the most experienced person on set in almost any capacity Davies was pretty clear when they were like, we're thinking Christopher
1: Eccleston. And he's like, well, I'm never going to get Eccleston. And then they did. And he was like, oh shit. Uh, and they had worked together before, but still Eccleston's a bit haughty. That's fine. That's He's fine. a good enough actor that he gets to be a bit haughty. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah, I'll, I'll give that to him. Anyway, he's back in the fold. That might actually get me to finally
1: listen to one of those. Big it pitch. is the <laughs> biggest sell that I've heard so
0: far. Like Tenet's
1: great. The Old Doctors are great. I have a bunch of those other ones, though. I have, because of a couple two-parters, like, ten stories of Christopher Eccleston. And I've watched them all about 15 times.
0: Yeah. I need more. Oh, more. Yes. Need more. Uh, so, we didn't do the the full follow-up to Trolls making all the money and, like, AMCs back down and, like, Universal's gonna have their movies shown there again and stuff. But oh, this is really? Like, I didn't hear they had backed down. But the whole... Sending things to streaming is expanding. Uh, Disney posted their first quarterly loss in 30 years due to lost revenue on its theme parks. Damn, but also that's got to be fucking expected. Like, right. Yeah, I think they lost something like $3.5 on their holy theme shit. parks this year. I think it's disgusting that they make a billion dollars, let yeah. alone...
1: Sorry, guys, I'm not much of a capitalist. Um... <laughs> Let alone losing 3.5 billion, and what scares me is that doesn't—that's not even going to
0: heavily affect them. I'm sure they're like losing their shit, but they're worth so much money. So we get their first experiment at um, recouping some of their money. Mulan will be hitting streaming on the Disney Plus if you're willing to shell out another thirty dollars for it. I've heard wildly mixed reviews of this. I know some people were like, "Yeah, buddy, like." I mean, I'm probably going to do it. I'm going to say that
1: right now. For you, it feels really expensive. But for like a family of four, like say you have, you know, two kids and a spouse, that suddenly is cheaper than going
0: to the movies together. And more easily accomplished. And more easily accomplished. Um, And from what I've read, I'm not 100% on this, but it sounds like as long as you have Disney Plus, once you rent it that first time, you'll have access to it. Like it won't time out. That's cool.
1: And I know they've said that this isn't their plan for movies going forward, but they're just really freaked out about the fact that there's still no theaters going. That's fair. I mean, suck it up. You're worth billions of dollars, but also that's fair. I'm glad Mulan is coming out. This isn't my ideal way of it happening, but also whatever. I probably, I am less likely to see it this way than I was to go see it in theaters. Hmm. Because as we've described, it kind of looks like garb porn. I'm gonna go look at all the pretty like clothes and be like, I can make that. I can
0: make that. I'm going to make that. Um. Um, yeah, like I've said, like since they started the since they announced that they were gonna start doing this new spate of live actions, Mulan's the one I've been waiting for to begin with. So
1: since it's basically just me and CC, that's real expensive. It, as I said, if there were like four or five people in the house, I would find it much more like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
0: Speaking of uh, VOD, though, we're getting Bill and Ted Face the Music even sooner than what was previously reported. It will now be on PVOD on August 28th. Wow, that's real soon. It was originally supposed to be like a theatrical release on August 21st. Then that was pushed back. To sometime in September, and now it's been moved back up into August, but for video on demand.
1: That scares me less than when they usually bump movies forward, because they were just tweaking by a few weeks, and it was
0: originally there anyways? Yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. I'm just glad I'm going to get to see Bill and Ted before the month's out, because that's another one that I will shell out money for. That's fine. I mean... They had me when they announced that they were going to do a third Bill and Ted years ago. So, <laughs> God, I've this movie took forever this. to come out. Like They've been talking about it for a decade. Uh, continuing the Keanu news, they've Let's announced that uh, the next two John Wicks are going to be filmed back to back. It's
1: been a big thing ever since Lord of the Rings fucking almost 20. Jesus, I'm old.
0: Almost 20 years ago. I'm just excited for more John Wick. We'll have to delve into that at some point. Still
1: haven't seen the first one.
0: The first one is amazing, but as far as like the world of John Wick goes, it does nothing really to set it up. Number two is not as good of an action movie, but is almost pure world building. And three sort of starts to actually start like the big story off. Everything else feels like a prelude. And so I'm not surprised we're getting two more. Um, and now it's going to be set in this... A lot more fleshed out world that the last two movies have really set up. So. Yeah, and we have this on
1: my phone. I have this like long, long list of I'm, I'm making the motions for long <laughs> in this. They can see. Yep, perfectly. They're just spying in your house. Anyways, long, long list of uh, general nerdery subjects of like. next next week we'll do fucking this or whatever. Whatever. And we're not super loyal to it, but I know somewhere in there is John Wick. Because we had originally talked when they were expecting like these three movies to come out closer to each other than Mm -hmm. they are at this point of doing the like a Keanu month of every month, do a different like Keanu thing. (sighs) We'll still do Keanu month. I'm still down. It just, it won't be as like quite as topical as we were
0: originally looking at. That, man, has so much work coming up, because there's also Matrix 4 and Point Break 2. Oh, I didn't know there well. was a
1: Point Break 2. Yeah. That's the one he did with... Uh,
0: did they already do it too? No, I think this they is the They did 2. the reboot.
1: That's what I was thinking of. The, the, this is the one that he did with the Blues Brother, right? With Acroid? No, I'm thinking of Gross Point Blank. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is not even with
0: him. It's with fucking Gusek? Right. I think so. It's been a long time Wildly different movie. Way different movie. Yeah, yeah. No, Point Break's the one that they reference constantly in Hot Fuzz. Oh, okay. You know the one, you know, <laughs> what we should do? We haven't figured out what our fourth one. We should do the original Speed. I fucking love Speed. <laughs> I, I think I've seen it. Speed 2 was directed by the director of Exorcist at the beginning. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, and in a... Keanu related property. Uh-huh. Pull us uh back we, on we've topic. talked about this a little bit briefly in the past when I brought up when I was watching movies with Mikey like a month ago. Uh but Lily Wachowski has come out confirming that the Matrix was intended as a trans allegory, which is just super interesting. It's one of those like fucking duh,
1: but it's still really cool to see that confirmed, especially because so many weird internet neckbeards connected to it, like red pill, blah, 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 like using it. And a lot of these internet bigots suddenly found out that they've been like obsessed with a trans allegory movie for decades and just didn't notice. I'm sure they're so mad.
0: Uh, One of the things that probably would have made it even more obvious and gotten more people to catch on sooner, but unfortunately didn't actually make it into the movie. Because it was the year 2000. Uh, was this little detail that Lily did let out that the character of Switch which she didn't have a huge role didn't but she have was... a huge role originally was supposed when we saw Switch out of the Matrix was supposed to be male mm-hmm. in the Matrix female because it was based on your own self image
1: that's cool I'm kind of glad they didn't go with it though because I know it's based off your own self image but also inside the matrix is supposed to be the bad place to be. Right. And I, so doing that kind of reverses the message or I was confused by that. Um, I, 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 like I saw somebody,
0: I, I've seen a lot of people bring up that point. I also saw somebody counter that with the matrix is just the construct and the system. It's the robots that are using it in a bad way. That's fair. Um, And I think it is, and
1: they deal with that a little more later on, that it is much more complicated than just Matrix bad. But in the first movie, it was not that complicated. In the first movie, it was pretty much just the Matrix is bad. Uh, And that's the Matrix I have a connection to, because it's the one I saw a bunch. Mm -hmm. Because, well, because, to be honest, my dad wouldn't let me watch it when I originally came out, (laughs) so I became, like, determined. I mean, it was, I was... 12 when it came out it was rated r like i was a little on the young side and he was like you can't watch this but my entire family was watching it for thanksgiving so i snuck downstairs to watch it with them
0: and got in a lot of trouble i had already talked up the youtube channel movies with mikey and film (gasps) joy some other episode they do an amazing look back at the matrix that goes pretty deep into that allegory so i would recommend that just sort of as an early recommendation to continue also, on the subject. Also, Lily Wachowski is a significantly better creator
1: than me, so if she thought that, like, that would have been a good allegory, she's probably more likely correct <laughs> than I am in my white cis male privileged ass. <laughs> like
0: <laughs> this, I have no idea what this show is, but I thought this was really neat since we were already talking representation in movies and brought up a bit of Disney news. hmm Disney has a cartoon, a children's cartoon on the Disney channel right now called The Owl House that has their first out bisexual character that's a lead character. Cool. And apparently the creators faced no pushback in, from making that happen. Oh, shit, yeah.
1: It's interesting how the world has changed on that front. Like, um, what's her name? She made She-Ra. Noelle Stevenson. Mm, mm-hmm. Also does Lumberjanes. Read fucking Lumberjanes if you haven't uh who straight up in her own words she said she like kicked open the door to the writers room one day and went we're going to uh fuck with gender norms or something <laughs> like that and decided to make Shira a les like openly make She-Ra a lesbian uh, I still haven't seen the final season but uh it's a lot easier to have queer representation now. And part of it is because a lot less people are complaining about it. Like the ones that are complaining are still complaining really loud, but getting more money out of it, which I may hate voting with my dollar, but
0: sometimes it works. Um, so that was, that was, I just saw that and I thought that was super neat, especially because it's to the point where like, there's a couple other creators that have spoke out being like, look, they got it right this time. Way to go. Kudos to Disney for letting them have this happen, including, uh, like Alex Hirsch, the creator of Gravity Falls. Well, and let's be honest,
1: Disney's not always been the best at this. Cause they're really good at like this character's queer and then no sign of it whatsoever. They straight Dumbledore it, mm-hmm. but you know, Valkyrie or
0: whoever in the, there's been like six of them in the Marvel universe. I do think from what I've heard, I think Valkyrie is going to be more, uh, openly queer in Love and Thunder, good. I'm. I have a feeling there's going to be a Jane Foster Valkyrie romance going there, which I'm not opposed to. Actually, yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, <laughs> Especially if it's. Well, we already know that Jane's becoming Thor. So, well, and I
1: always, <laughs> I don't dislike the Jane Thor romance, but I don't get why he's so obsessed with her when Lady Sif is right there. And even though Lady Sif in the movies didn't really get as much, much? play. But they, she was still kind of fun in the scenes that she was in and in the comics, she's straight baller. I want her on the Avengers instead of Thor for a run. Just, oh, that'd be just awesome. to really change it up. Oh, that'd be a lot of fun. I make up Avengers themes in my head sometimes. I
0: get bored. That would be fun. Uh, so, apparently Tron 3 is back in the works. As of like early this morning, um, they confirmed that Director Gareth Davis, who made the Oscar nominee Lion, has been hired to direct a third Tron that would star Jared Leto. Leto? Yeah. Does he have any connection to the previous Trons? I didn't watch the second Tron because I stopped caring because I cared about Tron...
1: Kind back when no one else like,
0: did and, and like that's not just being a hipster like it's, a little it's just being like a hipster but that's us that's it's a okay. little being a hipster but it's more just because it's been around that long that that was the time period i encountered it like
1: i have never cared about tron as a movie or like as a fictional thing as a visual style it's cool i have cared about tron Yeah,
0: that's about as far as it goes i cared about tron legacy's soundtrack cuz it's fucking baller but That's about it. I like that they
1: got the dude to come back for it. I know he's got a name, but it's the dude. It's It's the dude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's the dude. Um, And then last thing, and this is just, I don't know why, but... All right, so Comedy Central has already greenlit a revival of a Daria spinoff called Jody. They're going to be doing a reboot of Beavis and Butthead. Was Jody her... Black friend. Oh, cool. Okay. And joining that is a revival of the Ren and Stimpy show? Oh, no, don't do that. I don't think John Kay is going to be involved. Still don't do that. I would say maybe do that if you get Billy West back. As
1: a voice actor, I get it. Because he's, he was, uh... He took over for Johnny (laughs) Kay. Yeah. It's not that... It's, for those who don't know, what's his name who was the creator of Ren and Stimpy? Uh, yeah, uh, Chris Felusi. Turned out he was a big old creepazoid. And uh, I want to say was grooming minors or something like that.
0: Yeah, I think mostly 16-year-olds, though. I think there was at least one 13-year-old. Ew,
1: super gross. I mean, it was already super gross, but like, let's just add to that. And Ren and Stimpy was really his... Baby, and it was really a big expression of kind of who he was. Which, when it turns out that he was a super creep, kind of poisons at least to me, who already wasn't a big Ren and Stimpy fan. It kind of poisons Ren and Stimpy to me.
0: It's a weird one. Um, I, I'm sure it's not at all a shock to for you to find out that, that you were a big Ren. Ren and I Ren and just was automatically, automatically assumed, yeah. <laughs> It was extremely foundational for me. Um, But... To be honest, if there was a
1: nerd thing that I wasn't a huge fan of, but was a big nerd thing, you probably... This is
0: why we work, Tyler. I know. (laughs) Um, But that's the thing. They tried to bring it back once already with Johnny K, and it sucked. But that original run after he left, when it was left to the other creators, was still pretty good. So I think it's possible... It's just weird to do it. I don't. I don't understand I why. During that time period, I understood why because it was we had already had a few years. Like we were already on year like six or seven of The Simpsons, and you needed something to start pushing the new norms. And that's what I was gonna say. I think part of it is Ren and Stimpy is such a product of its time. Yeah,
1: because it was really on the edge of
0: like you shouldn't have been showing that show to children.
1: Yes. I mean that's part of the problem. Um but it's not necessarily anymore cuz these days it would just go on adult swim or something like that mm-hmm. or comedy central. And it's not as edgy as today as it would have been then and the ways that it's edgy in a lot of ways are more just like oh that's in weird bad gross taste. out of humor. And- That's in bad taste as opposed to,
0: like, that's pushing the edge. Yeah. Um, I think it's possible. I just don't know why you would try, I guess. I'm not saying it can't
1: be done. I'm saying I'm not convinced it's worth the time to be done. Like, I feel like there's just the amount of energy you could create, or it's going to take to do this. You could create something... Newer, better? Yeah, much more interesting, much more... Uh, creatively enriching than let's bring back Ren and Stimpy. No. Um, well, powder Toast Man. I'm being super mean and <laughs> it's partly because I just don't like Ren and
0: Stimpy that much. Mm, powder Toast Man. Anyway. <laughs> uh, that's all I got for news. Great. Let's take a quick break and then
1: we're going to talk about some dragons and some lances and some orbs, maybe? Not Balls. But orbs. Kender. Definitely gonna talk about the Kender. Yay, let's do it. Just gonna get this out of the way because fun little story for me here is uh, I haven't read Dragonlance. I didn't read Dragonlance until literally I finished it last week, but everyone I know read it growing up, and I didn't realize how really how foundational it was until I said, literally this month. To the point that I didn't know how much it affects Bellegarth and
0: Wacky Bats. (laughs) Until I was reading it and being like, wait a second. Wait, now that's interesting. Tell me about this. How does it affect Bellegarth? I know a Huma. Oh, okay.
1: Lord Soth is a legend in Bellegarth, but it's because there's a big scary dude out east named Soth. Who will wreck your day. Okay. And I didn't know that was a... Dragonlance thing until I was like hey wait and like I know it's supposed to be this like big evil undead knight and I just kept imagining this dude from Wacky Bats um there's an event called Chaos Wars and I talked to the guy who founded it and he's like I don't know if I stole that from Dragonlance but I might have stole that but from... I read Dragonlance like not long before that so it easily could have influenced it like that's awesome uh, because Bellegarth today tends to do a lot of original like flavor and stuff, but when we first started, way before I even played, we just named places after Conan stories or Dungeons & Dragons stories, mm-hmm. or we just kind of took our favorite little bits of fantasy and stuck them together because lore's not a
0: hugely important part of the game. I I could see that. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know that. So it's fun
1: to see... I mean, it's always just fun to read old fantasy anyways and, like, be like, oh, this is where this came from. But usually when I'm doing that, I'm doing stories from, like, the 30s or 50s, like, new Robert E. Howard story or something like that. Popping into this, which is a very 80s story, but being like, oh, shit, I've read this story before, just not Just not the original form. Like, yeah.
0: Or the mostly original form. Like, what would have been... D and D what was there D and D fantasy? I mean, there's D and D fantasy books before this, right? But not, not a lot.
1: Really? Because yeah, let's look at that real fast. Margaret Weiss had got, and I'm not entirely sure on Tracy Hickman. I'm behind on my research on him, but uh, sorry, real quick. Dragonlance was created by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. And I really hope those names are pronounced correctly in 1984. Weeze was an editor for Weiss. Weiss. Thank you. Weiss was an editor for like a games editor or something. And they were like, we, we've done these short stories. We've done a few, like, you know, let's put a story in. I think it was literally called Dragon Magazine, which was like the D&D magazine. And we're like, we should do a novel. Everyone's like, are you like, really like no one's going to read a D&D novel uh, because today we're used to novel spinoffs of books, video games, not books, uh, I guess spinoffs of books of books, but uh, comics, video games, movies, TV shows, everything. The amount of Star Wars books I have alone. Mm-hmm. No one's like, no one's going to fucking read a DD and d novel. And then everyone read this goddamn D&D novel. It's amazing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I guess, kind of, since we're talking D&D, and we've meant to do a DD and d episode forever, but we weren't sure how to do that without actually just playing D&D. Which we'll do also. Which some we point. still want to do. What is your experience with Dragonlance and with Dungeons
0: & Dragons as a whole? I know you read it a lot as a kid, but... I'll I'll start with D&D as a whole, because it's a much shorter story. Okay. Um, I rolled my first character at like age six but i never actually played till fourth edition okay i've sort of mentioned this before in the past but like my friend angus i didn't realize until recently how big of nerds his older brothers were and they had like their fucking character books and like fucking all the, the the player manuals and It was just the cool shit the older brothers had. Yeah, all just laying around. So me and him would like my first I I started off probably not with uh, with Dungeons and Dragons. I think I probably rolled a Shadowrun character first. Shadowrun's the first one I played. We'll get to it. Sorry. Um, But I absolutely me and him would read through the fucking how to build a character and all this and we would do it for fun but we didn't really know how to actually play the game that well, and we didn't really care to read the rest of the book to figure it out. We would just make those characters and then take them out on the fucking playground with us or take them to the park, and we would just play as those characters in the park. I like how that wouldn't be called LARP by
1: most definitions because but it's, it's like little kids playing pretend, but you 100% were just LARPing
0: with the DD characters you were making at like 7, which is awesome. And... And so that was, but then I didn't actually play till yeah till fourth edition came out. I had a lot of nerdy friends that most of us had very limited interaction with uh, D and D. And so because it was coming out, we decided, well, let's let's all jump in at the same time with this new thing that's coming out. We can all learn it together. And I've been in a few campaigns here and there since then. Uh Still, never anything super hardcore. Uh, it's the older you get, the harder it is to find right time and
1: space. And like I've had two campaigns kind of fall apart in the last year, just well, one because of COVID,
0: but just because it's hard to finish. Uh, Dragonlance, on the other hand, like I loved reading fantasy as a kid, so probably encountered it for the first time. I was trying to think about this, probably not any time before I was nine, but definitely not any time after age, like, eleven. First time was right in that area there. I don't know. I've read the Chronicles trilogy probably ten times at least. Um, The Legends, probably about the same amount. War of Souls, much less, because I didn't like it as much. Same with, like, the connecting, like, Mm -hmm. second generation, Summer... uh, Dragons of a Summer Flame... Um, the, the Lost Chronicles that came out later, I've read each of those twice and, but one of, like my, one of my favorite things ever is the Soul Forge and I've probably read that, uh, 25 times at least, um, which is the actual story of Raceland getting his, having his test at the Tower of Sorcery and Wayrath, but, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, just... Me and my best friend in high school, whenever we would play a video game that wasn't online, but we got to customize our characters, he was Lord Soth, I was Raelin. <laughs> um, like, I put over 1,500 hours into the first Guild, guild Wars. Um, my warrior's name was Ariakas Dragonbane. My ranger was Tenthalasa Kanan. <laughs> Wait, which one was Ariakas? I don't remember. Uh, the last Dragonlord.
1: Oh, yeah, okay.
0: But then I took Dragonbane from Huma. Fair enough,
1: yeah, that one I knew. Um, Sorry, as I said, I just read this, so the, like, 400
0: characters
1: in this fucking book.
0: My elementalist was uh, Magus, like, the staff of Magus. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, One of his main characters was uh, Paladin Lauren Soth. So it definitely, yeah, I'm I'm sensing a theme here. (laughs) Um... When I first played Oblivion, I spent four hours in the character creator recreating Raceland as he looks on the cover of the Soul Forge, and then played my entire first playthrough using uh, Kryn mage rules. I did that in Skyrim, but with Emperor Palpatine, mm.
1: and it is possibly the most fun I've ever had in an Elder Scrolls game.
0: Yeah, playing by crinnish mage rules, like, only being able to have a silver blade on me for, like, backup for my fucking magic and shit made that playthrough really hard. Also, you can only do a spell once a day? Yeah, it fucking sucked, dude. Like, go to bed, like, two minutes in. Jesus Christ. It blew. (laughs) But it was awesome, because I was able to do it. That's great. um, That is impressive. So... Yeah, I mean, I like me some Dragonlance. Yeah, I, yes. <laughs> and Ra- like I've mentioned last episode, Raceland's one of my favoriteest characters ever. So. <laughs> favoritest? Let's see.
1: As I said, my Dragonlance experience, I've talked about it before, I accidentally started trying to read the first of the Legends series, mm-hmm. the Twins one, and it made no sense to me whatsoever, but that's the one that was at my like, middle school library. Uh, other than that, on a whim, through a weird, like, Wikipedia dive from this to this to this, to this, to this, to this, to this. I ended up somehow on the Ravenloft setting, so I ended up, they mentioned Soth. Which led me to reading about Soth, which led me to reading about Tannis. And I was trying to like, you know what? I've been meaning to do this since I was 12. Fuck it. I'm going to, and tore through all three books, audiobooks. Uh, D&D, my sister played D&D when I was a little kid, so I always wanted to like, me and my buddies would, like, try and make the game, but not really understand. Like, we understood the storytelling and then, like, roll a die. Mm-hmm. But that's about as far as we understood. And it was perfect because we successfully roleplayed games. We just didn't D&D properly. Um, the first time I really played d and like, tabletop RPGs was Shadowrun in my freshman year of high school. Again, we largely ignored the rules. Eventually, I've learned, and I'm still... I'm a terrible rules person. Even I I DM most of the time when we play, and I'm like, what's the fucking rule? I don't care. Roll this. Yeah. Which I actually stand by. Yeah. No, that's fine. Four games of like, it's more important that you guys are having fun and telling a good story than it is like, you know, the rule specifically says that this and then this and then this happens. I'm a very dice light
0: player. Would it surprise you to know, uh, being such a fan of Raceland that I am a notorious min-maxer? Not at all.
1: <laughs> See, Tyler, for someone who does not, like, heavy, you know, I'm, I'm the RP heavy character, I have befriended every min-maxer
0: in a 15-mile area, <laughs> it seems like. So I am surprised... Not at all. I do have enough respect for lore that I will keep my min-maxing within lore constraints. I was trying to set up a Mutants and Masterminds game once. (laughs) I don't remember
1: if I've told this story before. And my buddy was like, I'm going to make this character, and we were doing a villains campaign. I'm going to make this character who has a robot, like he's a brain and a robot body. And I'm like, yes. He's like, the robot body is in the shape of a velociraptor. And I'm like, absolutely, yes. And he messaged me and he's like, We've got a problem. Like, what? And he goes, I've already set it up so I could blow up the earth at any point I wanted. I'm like, Absolutely no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yes, I know the min maxers. (laughs) I'm bad at it myself, but. Yeah, it's fun. I blame it on Raceland. Yeah. Oh, man, that man took a lot of negatives so he could be real good at one thing.
0: Oh, yeah. So, okay. It's generic as hell. Oh, You've fine. already said you liked it. What, what, is there anything coming to it this late that stood out to you that you liked more than you thought? And maybe we should go into what the plot of the, it all is first, but I'm still just curious. So I'm asking, fuck okay. <laughs> it. Yeah. What's interesting is characters that I didn't think I would like.
1: I really liked, you know, it's when I first heard the names Goldmoon and Riverwind of the Barbarian tribes, I just rolled Face-bombed. my, I rolled my <laughs> eyes through the fucking ceiling. I'm like, oh my god. Or like, Sturm with his... Also, it really threw me that they called it mustaches, because I just think of like a mustache being like the full thing. Mm-hmm. But they kept calling it his mustaches, and I just imagined like a second one underneath his <laughs> mouth or something. Like two full mustaches not like one side and then the other Mm -hmm. and like Sturm the knight who's obsessed with his mustache and honor and then fucking the first character you meet is Tannis half elven and I'm like oh no I don't like elves I don't (laughs) like like that's such a lazy name and an elven ranger is gonna be the most boring character and then I really liked Tannis he's a bit of a crybaby sometimes like he whines a lot but also I found it believable that he started having a mental breakdown halfway through this. This is a lot of shit
0: to deal with. Why do two of the coolest chicks in the entire world have to be in love with me and I love them both? Or I really (laughs) really hated Lorana
1: and Gilthanas when I first met them. Gilthanas is still a putz that's okay but like Lorana's pretty fucking cool and I never say that about elves Dude, our golden general. Traditionally, I don't like elves, and part of it is pure contrariness, because all my friends wanted to play an elf. I'm like, fine. Elves suck. I'm a dwarf. I was always dwarf. I, I'm super on the dwarf school. And I just kind of adopted the like elf prejudice, because they're so hoity-toity. Especially those Sylvanesti. And I I mean, the Coronesti were not much better. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, the only time I liked them were the wild elves, and I didn't care in this time. Like, I'm still like, okay, the elves in general suck, but there are some good elves in this. Mm -hmm. I will critique the things that I didn't like, as I said, because most things I'm like, that's so generic. I'm like, but it's generic because this started it. Yeah, like, that's generic D.D. Oh, because this is the first time we really got to introduce to that, it was still fresh at the time. The one thing I didn't like in this is characters fell in love faster than Romeo and goddamn Juliet. Oh yeah. Holy shit. Like Sturm Sturmalana was the most egregious, although Gilthanas and the Dragon Lady who he totes oh, did not yeah, know as a dragon. <laughs> Silvara, which is the laziest name. <laughs> it's almost lazier than Tannis Half Elven. It might be. Um He's immediately like, "I'm in love with her." I'm like, "You met her yesterday." This is what our children will be like. Calm the fuck down, dude. You're coming on strong. But yes, Sturm and Al- Althara, Althea,
0: uh, Alhana, Starbreeze. Alhana. That name too, just ugh. Alhana um, Starbreeze. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we keep saying all these names. Maybe we should just let's go through the at least the basic cast. Well. And I was going to say, like, yeah, yeah, basic cast. That makes sense. Let's do that. And then we, I was going to say basic story, because once it actually gets going, there's something happening damn near every, like, 20 pages. Oh, man. it this Because a- it follows the same pacing as a campaign.
1: There is always something new. There's always new characters mixed in. I mean, these characters are based off of a campaign, which I used to be like can you do that for fantasy? Like, is that lazy if I'm just stealing fucking D&D characters if I'm writing a fantasy book? Nah, man,
0: apparently that is a time-honored tradition. And, I mean, realistically, some of the biggest podcasts in the world right now are just listening to people. Yeah, I was listening to The Adventure Zone yesterday. So (laughs) So who am I to judge? (laughs) They were just kind of ahead of their time, really, with this. Oh, my God. All right. So Tannis Half-Elven. Actually, let's start with... Panthalus Kanan. I was going to say, let's start with uh,
1: uh, Flint because he's the first person we meet. Okay, yeah. Flint Fireforge. Flint is the most stereotypical dwarf this side of Gimli. I will say critique of this first book, there's a few scenes that I'm like, this is just Lord of the Rings. Mm. Just admit you're in the mines of Moria right now and we can move on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much.
1: But Flint, you said Fireforge? Yes. Again, the Dwarviest Dwarf to ever dwarf, It was interesting. He's an old man dwarf. He's the equivalent of like 60s, maybe 70s, but in dwarf years. So like 150. Mm-hmm. I think he says 153 at one point. Yeah, close enough. Um, He's a wood carver. I want to say. He's not a like big old mine because he's a hill dwarf, not a mountain dwarf. Although he is obsessed with Dwarven architecture, and he's like, look, this was made by these people. Which
0: is just a Dwarfy Dwarf
1: Dwarf trait. <laughs> As someone who automatically <laughs> likes Dwarves, Flint was one of my favorite characters in the he's being criminally underused sort
0: of way. hmm Yeah, I think he does do word wor- the woodworking primarily because they have a different um, metalworker in, in yes. Solace. Yes,
1: and because Tasselhoff carries a uh, a oh.
0: little doll that Flint carved mm-hmm. of
1: Tasselhoff for him. That was, like, his gift.
0: Although he was the one to teach Tannis the metalworking that Tannis knows, which isn't much and doesn't really ever come up. But So he does a bit, but, like, his main focus was work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he is an old man dwarf. And really, you <laughs> now know everything there is to know about Flint Fireforge. He's a grumpy old man dwarf,
0: and I love him for it. Oh, he's so good. So good. Fine. Okay. So from Flint to... Tannis is who we would meet next. Tanthalus Kanan. Tannis half-elven. Tannis half-man, if you're amongst the elves. <laughs> <laughs> which just doesn't sound... Right. Uh, so Lorana think... at one point calls him Tanthalasa rather than just Tannthalus, Mm-hmm. Which I think changes it to a f- some form of endearment for Elvish in this setting, but anyway, Tantalus gets really annoyed a lot of times. (laughs) Tantalus gets really annoyed at elven
1: bullshit, which I appreciate because I also get, as we have covered really annoyed at elven bullshit. Although I did enjoy as much as the elves drove him nuts because they treated him like
0: garbage. He still, that was very much part of his culture for full, uh, full transparency here, in getting ready for this episode, I didn't reread the novels. No, because we decided on this like three days ago. I reread the graphic novels. So I'm not I'm piecing together a lot of details from just old knowledge and then just a very brief overview of the plot. But Tannis is the character that it once I reread the novels is the one I'm gonna focus on the most because not that I feel like they probably did this story well but the fact that the story of him having to deal with being biracial is there it's kind of inherently interesting to me and that he quote unquote spends so much time dealing with like passing you know okay so i am wildly unqualified to say whether they did it well or not like I don't remember it standing out in any way, whether they did it well or not, but I'm curious to reread the character thinking about it more intensely in my adult age. It stood out to me reading it as an adult and that they dealt with
1: it and they didn't shy away from it and that they let it be more complicated because like people are real shitty to him because he's biracial But some of those people are also... Really shitty. Well, no, and some of these people are good. good. And some of these people are people who are really close to him, and some of them learn. Mm -hmm. Like, Riverwind is an absolute crapsack for the first half of the book because he's
0: racist as fuck.
1: But then... But he's also a barbarian from
0: a tiny village. But yeah,
1: he's, you know, like conservative redneck from nowheresville, which, man, I grew up around these people. I am these people, depending on who you're talking to. I try not to be, but yeah, it's small town. And then he gets exposed to a wider world and goes, man, all that shit that I thought I knew was just garbage. And I thought that relationship was good. Or like Gilthanas, his basically adopted brother, is real gross about it and then is like, man, I was wrong kind of it's ass is always sucks i'm sorry i don't like gilson ass um oh, but like man. it's and still allowed to be much more complicated than just like bad guys are racist
0: to him about it and oh fuck all the elves super fucking passive aggressive ways of pointing out that he's illegitimate in the way they bring him up in conversation or even like You know, Lorana, who he is
1: close with at first is really dismissive of his human traits and tendencies and like doesn't even like the beard. By the end, she's grown like she I mean, they just joke about like he's like, maybe I'll shave the beard off. And she's like, don't I've grown fond of it. And it's really like, hey, I've come to accept you for who you are, not like who we were trying to make you be. Mm hmm. And I don't know, again, I'm wildly unqualified to be (laughs) like, this is a great example of, I think it might be more accurate to say it's a pretty good example for what this book is, which is a, like, it's a
0: pop fantasy book from the eighties. He's the one I'm most interested to pay more attention to anyway.
1: I've read a description of him as kind of Captain Kirkish, and I suddenly like, really got it where he does have some bits of his horn dogness, but like this was back when Kirk was allowed to be a more rounded character than how we think of him today, which is just, you know,
0: Zap that from Futurama? Also, he's a half elf ranger.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know.
0: I, uh, I got
1: a buddy that I'm like, this is every character. So-and-so has ever made in his life. It's, <laughs>
0: Uh, who do you want to go to after Tannis?
1: Next person we would meet—I'm just trying to think of it. Uh, as we're introduced, them would be Tasselhoff Burfoot. Yes, who—it doesn't surprise me because I'm always a sucker for these characters. Was absolutely my favorite of like the main heroes of the Lance.
0: Tass is everything fun and whimsical about Dungeons and Dragon Fantasy. One of the guy that introduced me to Bellagirth, my one of my best
1: friends, I hung out with him yesterday, you know, mass distance, yada, yada, Mm -hmm. yada. But still, um, when he made a Bellagirth character, he made a Kender because he was a big fan of Tasselhoff and I'm Dragonlance, but Tasselhoff specifically. And he's made a lot of really Tasselhoff characters over the years, um, So I automatically associate not just that I really enjoy that character archetype, but I automatically associate Tass with the guy who was the best man at my wedding. Mm -hmm. So like I I just automatically have this really warm feeling about Tass, who is a kender, which is totes not a hobbit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I was going to say we should probably... Tass being a Kender in general has a lot to do with how Tass is. Mm -hmm. Because you run into other Kender, and they're very Tass-like.
1: Apparently, because as I said, this was a campaign that they ran, and then they took these characters and made a story, uh, a series of novels out of it. Before Dragonlance came out, Tass was originally a halfling, which was straight up, we can't use Hobbit for legal purposes. Exactly. Uh, But when they made Dragonlance, they thought the hobbits wouldn't fit in quite or the halflings wouldn't fit in quite right. So they changed them to the Kender and they were like, wow, this we can't use this guy as a hobbit because he was a halfling with a ring of invisibility. And they're like, "Okay, look, we're already
0: a little too close to the Lord of the Rings. We can't. No. (sighs) So if we think about the hobbit and the fact that Bilbo was hired to be the thief, They ran with that. I was going to say, basically,
1: Kender are what if hobbits had Wanderlust and Kleptomania.
0: Yes. Um, Although they don't see it as stealing.
1: Which one of the creators talked about it. And he's like, I wasn't comfortable with making a race of thieves, Mm. really. Like, there are some awkward aspects of that. And I mean, if we want to bring this to a modern sense, D&D's been talking a lot about race and how like how they're going to deal with it. it and maybe stop using the term race because that has some really unintentional connotation or maybe intentional I don't know but like some unfortunate connotations today uh especially the evil races that's mm-hmm. that feeds into some stereotypes that I don't think they were meaning to feed into
0: um, so I mean, very recently with um uh, what are the name of the folk in uh, Ravenloft. The Vistani? I don't remember. The, I don't know Ravenloft very well. Yeah, that was. The, well, they just put out, I think, the new, like, Ravenloft source book. Mm. And then immediately were erotting it and stuff because the Vistani are very obviously supposed to be the Romani.
1: And they known didn't for a long handle long time it as, super well. as the gypsies. Yeah, uh, and mm, racial the... slurs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and like there's been more conversations about the Easterlings in Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, and all that stuff. Uh, so I get why he was like, maybe the race of thieves. There's some really unfortunate kind of Romani, let's be honest, mm-hmm. stereotypes working in there, especially wanderer thieves. Yes, but making it a race of intensely curious people who will grab something because they're curious, as opposed to they're thieves.
0: And Today it's all kind it of, might
1: not fly as well, but it did make a very charming race of people. When it was all kind of species like... Species
0: of people. crow brain, Like, ooh, shiny. Ooh, yeah. shiny. Ooh, shiny.
1: Well, and what I like about Taz, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is he's been accused of being a thief and stealing a purse. And he's like, you know I'm not a thief. You know I was set up. And I honestly believed he was set up. Because Taz has never given a flying fuck about money. No. If he steals a gem... It's because he thought it was a pretty gem and he picked it up. And like several times. He really wants
0: to make sure that the other person doesn't forget it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And like several times the Kendra will be like, oh shit. I don't, you lost your knife, man. I've got this one that looks, that sounds exactly like the one you're describing. Do you want this like to make up for it? And then sometimes he's just stealing. He openly admits like the first time you see him that he stole Flint's knife, used it to kill a goblin. And was like, I don't want it back.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um...
1: Well, him and Flint have that relationship. Though. Yes, him and him and Flint might be the best part of this book, and was really broke me later on, which we'll get to. I'm sure
0: there's spoilers in this one. Uh, <laughs> so Tassloff Burfoot, like happy go lucky, Kender through and through, mm-hmm. Uncle Trap Springer, like all of them. Yeah, he's a rogue uh who do we want to go on to from there? I can't remember what order they have. Let's come go in, with so.
1: I I think I remember. Let's go with Caramon and Raceland next. All right,
0: the twins. Because they head into the weird big tree uh you got Caramon whose name was a s- made to invoke caring man. I did not put that together.
1: Caramon was my favorite at first. Um, and I'm glad we're getting a whole series with him because I, I was about to say I more. think Caramon
0: will probably become your favorite again if he slipped from that position once you get even more of him with he did but mostly because he was so stuck on raced, and I wanted to
1: see I really enjoyed Karamon when he was being able to be beyond just mm, mm-hmm. raced's footman so seeing that is what
0: I'm looking forward to on
1: the books I'm going to be reading next
0: Caramon <laughs> um, is the big muscle bound warrior who's not even truly a warrior. He just fights really well because he's really big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he's been put to use as that long enough that he's picked up training.
1: He's still in, uh, Kit Katara did, he did say Katara trained
0: him Trained a bit. him. And he's d- went and done mercenary work. Um, race, Raiceland and Karaman have a couple books that uh, Weiss did. Weiss? I already said, yeah. Weiss, I think you said. Um, Karaman is the fighter class character. He's the human fighter. Yes. <laughs> so, Raceland on the other hand, his twin brother... Human edgelord. Human edgelord, yeah. Weakly, I mean, weak, sickly, frail... Coughing up blood all the time. Coughing up blood from a magical malady, golden skin, uh, hourglass eye pupils that see uh, objects as and people as time affects them, so people are constantly withering to death and skeletons in his eyes oh my god
1: it's so edge 80s like it's straight out of vertigo comics
0: and just wants to be the best mage wizard ever just be the best mage he can be but like for totally personal reasons yeah, for and is completely pissed off at the world because he's always been the outsider because of all of that Raslin is well, and he wasn't born with like golden skin and shit. That all comes later. But Raslin is the guy that was
1: born kind of weak and is all pissy about it. You might hate me for saying this. If he was in the real world, he would be a internet troll, not oh, no, the absolutely. world's most powerful wizard. Um He is a very interesting characters at times, though. Like when he befriends the uh, Gully Dwarf Boop Boop. Boopoo or something like that uh, is one of my favorite bits of the entire three book trilogy. And I really wish we had been allowed to explore the rounder character that Raceland was or like when they're under disguise as like circus performers, basically. And he describes being happy during that time and then gives up happiness for power, blah, 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 blah. But like. And I'm hoping to get more of it in the new, in the next trilogy.
0: And I don't know if I will or not. Not with that face you're giving me, but. Raceland of it... Okay. This will get into a little bit of spoilery territory. That's fine. For this trilogy, he ends the trilogy as basically a bad guy. Oh, yeah. He's straight evil. He primarily serves as the antagonist of the Legends trilogy. He does have a complicated redemption arc that. Doesn't necessarily make him a good guy, but it sets up for him later on to be a big damn hero. Mm-hmm. Much later on, he gets set up to be a big damn hero. Super complicated character.
1: I just wish that we had been allowed to see more of the interesting complication part than the edgelord magic part, because that's the part that I cared about.
0: And I... You might like the Soul Forge because of that. It's the the first of the Raceland Caramon. Yeah, um, and it it's a lot more of like their childhood and uh, him dealing with being a sickly kid, and also like looking over their mother while she has her debilitating visions. Oh right, because she was a seer. Mm-hmm. And I- how much Kit actually cares for them, and how that's a kind of weird relationship as well, because it's obvious she cares for him but she's also even when young a really cold she's inherently selfish yes
1: um yeah I'm I'm taking the series like a trilogy at a time yeah. basically not being like I'm gonna read all because I'll burn myself out and never do it oh easy but if I go all right I enjoyed these I'm listening to a few thing other things now one's gonna be my recommendation um and then I'm going to jump into The Twins trilogy. And then I might go into... Yeah, yeah, we'll see where I go from there if I'm still enjoying it after six books. Right. Uh, But I am pretty sure after those, if I go further, I'm going to go into the Raceland Chronicles and some of the, like, Tannis, Taz precursor books as opposed to
0: the second generation. Right. Second generation is... Eh. eh. That's what I've heard. There's good bits in there, but... (laughs) There's also a lot of boring and a lot of just like depressing.
1: I am a big, at, at this point, I'm willing to call myself a pretty big Wheeze and Wise and Hickman fan. Like, I, I really like
0: their writing style. Also, um, Raceland is supposed to sound like Wasting Man. Jesus Christ. I said, just said I like their writing style, and then I just rolled my eyes through the ceiling based off their style. But and Majer is related to the Spice Marjoram. That one I did not see coming.
1: <laughs> um, I just assumed magic. But I do am entertained when they first mention Karaman, they talk about his dragon helmet multiple times. And then once the dragon high lords with their dragon helmets pop up, they kind of just stop talking about that. He wears the stolen dragon Mm -hmm. armor, but like that's about as far as it. Yeah. um, I was expecting it to be bigger. Maybe it is in the future. I don't fucking know. But
0: I don't Not that I remember. Anyway, they just made a a big enough deal of it when it first appeared that I was like, that's what's going to be like. I think the I think the interesting thing to note with Caramon is that he's not actually dumb. No, he's devoted, and he is a little simple. But simple doesn't mean stupid. He, especially later on, especially once you get into the legends, when he stops and thinks about something, he takes longer to consider it than most of the others, but usually comes with a much greater burst of wisdom from it. Mm-hmm. So good on him. <laughs> which
1: right when we say that I am going to give a critique to lead into our next character, we get introduced to Tika mm. and he makes a joke about like, you remember when I said that like when you were young, cause you were ugly that like I, your father would have to pay someone to marry you. And then like, they both laugh. I'm like, what the hell? Caraman? <laughs> Why did you think that was okay?
0: <laughs> oh, Tika.
1: And They don't like gender relations is not perfect in this series, although it's a lot better than I expected it to be from 80s pop fantasy. But that was just that scene bugs the shit out of me.
0: Tika is a barmaid turned fighter.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't come up much until the second book or she's not
0: important really until the second book. She joins somewhere in the second or end of the first. When they come back around to solace and everything's been fucked up by the um the dragons. Chica's a character that I really like that I'm hoping she's in the
1: next one. I'm not looking at you because you have a really bad poker face oh, for this. Because I think she deserves more than she got. They're a little obsessed with her virginity, but it was the 80s, so I'm a little more forgiving than I would be otherwise.
0: Uh, I are like, also obsessed with her whacking things with her frying pan, which I'm all about.
1: Yes, and later <laughs> on, she's like, she's not a great swordsman. And I'm like, oh, come on. But she's a, she's an artist with the shield bash. I'm like, yes! <laughs> that is interesting. That's a character I like to play. And that's great. Like, I don't need everyone to be a great swordsman. And I don't even need her to be a great fighter, because she wasn't raised to be one. But I do enjoy that like she got she picked up this one skill and was like I'm going to be fucking great at this. Um what I wish I had gotten from Tika real fast. Yeah. They mention and it's like a throwaway line that Flint raised her for a while before she was adopted by the by uh, Odic? By Odic. But they never mention that that I can remember before that throwaway line and they never have any real moments together. She's got looking up to Tannis looking up to Raceland and desperately wanting to bang Harriman where I would have loved some really like, and I didn't even need much of it, but some kind of like tender moments of this guy helped raise her and is already the like old man looks after people of the group. Why did we not have a scene with the old man looks after people of the group with the newest, youngest, most inexperienced member of the group? That's true. That would have been great.
0: That is quite enough I would have loved a like
1: Flint Tika scene. Their their personalities would have been perfect for that. Oh, I've got this Crush on Karaman. Well, girl, he's a moron. Like a, like, fuck, whatever. It could have been the most stereotypical scene ever, and I would have ate that shit up. Yeah.
0: Um, who should we go to next? The I'm pretty sure. Lawful them, Stupid himself. Lawful Stupid <laughs> Sturm Bright Blade. Who whose
1: son's name is Steel, Steel Grapeblade. Okay. I was about to say, did you run across his son's name? Um, I, I know bits of what happens next because I was curious. And I this started because I accidentally went on a Dragonlance wiki deep dive. Right. And went, all right, I need to read these fucking books. Did not expect to like Stern because, again, I'm not a big... One, I don't play humans much in D&D. And I don't really play paladins, like, at all. Mm-hmm. And the like pure good knight was not a character I was expecting to like. And in his early ones, he's kind of boring, but he becomes a really interesting character. And I read a critique of him. Sturm is the extremely moral character. He will always make the moral choice. And you might not always agree with him, but he's so internally consistent as a character that it's hard to dislike him for it. He's Bernie Sanders. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Like, if Bernie's kid, and I don't know if Bernie has a kid even, if Bernie's kid was like a paladin. With mustaches. With mustaches, which, again, I imagine a full Lots multiple of mustaches. mustaches. Like, but... I'm not necessarily ever been fond of the mustache because, as a look, it's really hard to pull off. I think of like the just the mustache, mm-hmm. but I've come to accept that you can, if you can pull it off, it can look really like good. And this over the top paladin who is clearly obsessed with his mustaches, and it's again, it's a thing they kind of drop later on. But in his early appearances, he's just like, oh shit, like gotta look yeah. after my mustaches. It was charming.
0: He's a dummy. Well, he's also, um, oh God, I can't remember the name of the character, but he's essentially Toshiro Mifune's role in Seven Samurai. He's the knight that's not a knight.
1: Yeah. He's the good guy. He's a good boy. Um, (laughs) That's kind of
0: how I think of him. And um, spoilers, Dragons of a Winter's Night when he dies was the first time a book ever made me cry. I didn't cry there. I did cry when Flint
1: died spoilers for dragons of spring dawning, mm-hmm. which we've already said spoilers. This book came out in 1984. Yeah. Like I'm so, I As someone These who books are older than me, <laughs> as someone who <laughs> just read this last month, if you're listening to the dragon Lance, like episode, it's no one's fault, but your own
0: at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I love you. Uh, which I did not expect to have happen even then. Cause he was not my favorite character Ever? It was a very powerful scene, and it does bring in... when well, and it came right after him having to deal with all the shit from the Salamnic
1: Yeah, it turns out those Salamnic Knights sucked, which made a stern much more interesting. When it turns out that, like...
0: He's the true believer he's, amongst the all true, these
1: assholes. Yes. He's the true knight who's not a knight. When all the real knights are failing is more interesting than just, he's the true knight. Right. I did like... And it came up a lot right before then, although they did it throughout the whole thing, how affectionate these characters were allowed to be to each other. Mm. Uh, And it's been mentioned in the Lord of the Rings books too, but we come from an age and we've been battling it a lot in the last 10 years. Men don't show affection to each other for the most part. And when they do, it's for a long time. It was like, oh, bromance. Oh, no, homo. Oh, let's like joke about it. Mm -hmm. Characters hug characters aren't walk like arm in arm or waist in waist sometimes they're openly affectionate um Lorana describes herself as loving sturm but it doesn't feel like a romantic love to me but those two are wildly lo- in love with each other in a at least to me and if other people read it a different way it's completely legitimate in a very platonic way and holy shit we don't get that we don't get Sturm being close and affectionate with Tanis Half Elven. Or kissing Lorana on the forehead, but not having it be fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, these two super wanna bang. That never comes up, but they are super in love with each other. In the way that there are a lot of people that I am absolutely
0: in love with, platonically. hmm. How's a lot? And everyone just respects Sturm. And he deserves it. Even Raiceland has it out with him multiple times in the books. They fucking hate each other, but they're like... But Raiceland, once he's passed, is like, no, he was a true knight his entire life.
1: Yeah. We may not have agreed, but that doesn't mean that there weren't things about him I admired. I talked about that literally this episode already about Mm -hmm. other fucking things. I don't remember where, but um, I didn't expect to like Sturm. I really liked Sturm. And I probably didn't cry because I knew he was going to kick it. But it was still just
0: like, oh, buddy. I, oh, man. There, I remember the first time I reread the series. And in Autumn Twilight, when they meet the Forest Master, the Forest Master in almost the the very first time they start, it starts speaking to them, basically points out that Sturm's going to die.
1: Oh, yeah, they're very clear about it. Sturm never stood a chance. No. I wish we'd gotten a little more, like, I I was expecting a big thing about, like, the fact that he's always wearing this super antique and out-of-date armor and his dad's sword. And if there were less characters, I think we could have gotten a little more build time for Sturm. As much as I love the, like, hundred characters they introduced in this, some characters definitely suffered for it. Because... There were so many characters. Barum? A lot of characters,
0: definitely Barum. Oh fuck, Barum. Uh, <laughs> one I'll, of the arguably one of the most important characters really just got shafted with the amount of time that's actually given to him.
1: Like them. yeah, a lot of characters were not given the proper time to develop. Barum's not a character. Barum was a plot device. Yeah, uh, <laughs> true. <laughs> bringing us this, I believe next would be. Goldmoon, Riverwind. Mm-hmm. Goldmoon and Riverwind. Goldmoon being the human barbarian cleric cross class. She's pretty much just treated like a cleric, but she was... She didn't become a cleric until this, so she... I don't know. Yeah, she technically multi-classed, but... Like, there,
0: there's a level or two. Well, at first she technically multi-classed, but then she had that weird resurrection moment where you could argue that she's... Cleric through and through These after. These
1: characters died like six times in the first book. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And I kept being pissed, being like, wait, you killed him now? You're going to make me like him? And then like, oh, he's back. Oh, now you're going to kill Goldmoon? What the shit? Oh, wait, nope, she's back. You could make the argument when she comes back that she's cleric through. and through. Yeah. She is chieftain's daughter, which is not quite... Did they... Did she- the tribe worship her as a goddess? I was never quite clear cuz he was real pissed that she was taking the job of chieftain's daughter and I never quite understood why.
0: Yeah. I I'm too I'd have to reread it to see if there's any actual reason why. It's kind of implied that she became semi-divinity
1: because they didn't have the gods anymore. Right if you want to look at this book too deeply, there is a definite kind of like atheism might be bad subtext that I'm just not going to dive too far into because it's not, it's not Aslan was a Jesus lion on the nose level of subtext. It's a thing that you can choose to use. Yeah. Yeah. Although Aslan was a Jesus lion. Oh, Aslan was there. There's no like pretending Aslan wasn't Jesus lion. And I liked lion, which in wardrobe, um, river moon, I did not like at first. As I said, I became fond of him at first. What I appreciate about Rivermoon... Riverwind. Riverwind, thank you. I just thought you were using their celebrity couple name. Hey, (laughs) Rivermoon! Or Goldwind. Goldwind's better. Uh, Riverwind is not likable in the first book, but once he gets over his shit and is admittedly significantly less important to the plot, he becomes much more likable because, like... Late In the third book, I think it was, Tannis has been missing and they're freaking out and Goldmoon hugs him and is real close and then like Riverwind like pulls her away and you're like, ah, shit, let's see some misogyny. But he's like, no, it's my turn to hug. And I'm like, fuck yeah, Riverwind. <laughs> so much character development. Another one that wasn't allowed a whole bunch, but they needed the barbarian class because they needed like every class in this yeah. somewhere. Gold Moon's fine. Gold Moon's fine. She's a cleric. She's a really generic cleric. She's charming for that. Again, I was able to forgive a lot of these because it was still so new. Like, Mm -hmm. you may be generic, but the reason, as we've said, the reason you're generic is because everyone since then has been like, yeah, I'll make Gold Moon. Um, Cleric is the cursed class for me in D&D. I've wanted to make a Dwarven Cleric for a decade now. And if I make a Dwarven Cleric, that game will not happen. That game will fall apart before <laughs> the first session. So I have resigned myself to I will never play a Dwarven Cleric.
0: But you've, just in your head, you've got that Dwarven Cleric. I've got him up. built,
1: so. man. Dwarven Cleric. A, ki- uh, a Lightning God. I was going to play him as, like, probably neutral good. I'm not I'm not good at alignments. Mm-hmm. Because I think alignments are really restricting. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Chaotic good, maybe not, but law... I don't know. Somewhere like, wants to be lawful, will super bend the rules. <laughs> that's fun. Kind of good guy Thor, but like, good guy follower of Thor, who's like, that's what you're supposed to be.
0: Okay. Like. I like it. Um, also black, because I like black dwarves, because oh, we don't see them often enough. Yeah, there we go. So... God, Heroes of the Lance, what, we would have Lorana? Yeah, because we skip forward. We've met these characters. Or should we also bring up Kit? Kit's kind of important, but is mostly only mentioned until far later on. Let's give a quick
1: synopsis of how they get to Lorana before we go there. Because these guys all meet up in a pub, basically. Yes. They end up helping... Oh, no. fizzban Oh, yes. Well- Kind of. They don't confirm until the very end of the very last book that this is Fizban here. But Fizban is an old man that clearly makes sure that all of these characters meet and then gets them in trouble with the Draconians who were sort of boring. But okay, half dragon, bad guy, brace, fine, whatever. Yeah. Pre-Dragonborn, Dragonborn. Do we meet Fizban before Lorana, like, actually meet Fizban? like, actually meet Fizban before I It was around the same time. Yeah. Okay. So these guys go on the run because they save Goldmoon and Riverwind from... The bad guys. The bad guys. The goblins, the draconians, and they have the Blue Crystal Staff, which was the laziest naming. And that was, again... You're generic, and I go and forgive you because we're getting... But for fuck's sake, Tannis half and the Blue Crystal staff
0: are super on the nose. Yeah, actually, let's just do a, a super quick overview of the plot, mm-hmm. just in general, and just get that shit out of the way. And then
1: we'll talk about It's Lorana really Kitarra generic, Kitarra there's a lot of really,
0: family. really small details you can throw in, but don't really matter as much. Mm-hmm. The big things are, uh, they're first on the run because of the Blue Crystal staff, but then they need to get the blue crystal staff to this city by this day for something good to happen. And yeah. like most D&D things, I do not remember the details of any of it past. We have to get to the staff to the place. Yeah, it's they have two days to get the staff to Zachtaroth. And anyway, they, that happens. That's when beca- um, Goldmoon, I almost called her Goldwind. <laughs> That's when Goldmoon becomes the first true cleric in 300 years since the Cataclysm, because this is technically a giant post-apocalyptic fantasy world.
1: Yes, which is kind of fun.
0: Yeah. Um... That spins off into doing more of like, okay, now we know that there's evil dragons about and this bullshit's happening and that bullshit's happening. But now we also know about these dragon orbs. And so we're going to go off and find the dragon orbs. because Let's go meet the elves and what's totally not
1: Rivendell.
0: Yeah. Um. Um, people split up at different times. They take down a couple different dragon high lords. They split up more at different times. Everyone sort of comes together at the end. More dragon high lords fall. We haven't introduced Lorana yet, but she becomes a right. giant general. The the plot is that we said it's very generic fantasy. It's good. I wish that it would. Yeah, the bad guy's quest is to bring back the queen of darkness, who is the evil goddess. The good guy's quest is to Stop
1: make that, that not happen. Um, and balance is a big thing in this. Not. Good wins or evil wins, but but balance balance happens in the world because, as they talk about later, people trying to do good can do a lot of really terrible things. Mm-hmm. And this series is very like these guys are good, these guys are evil, and it's not until the very end that they're like that's not quite as like straightforward as that. And I wish they had been a little more the the a wizards, less clear
0: cut. The wizards are embrace that kind of openly they're like look we have white robes red robes and black robes mm-hmm. there has to be all three yeah but like the everyone else is kind of like why the fuck do you guys have to have black robes why, why do i do this um but then like the other things like the constellations queen Toxus coming back to to Crin also means that the paladine the, God the shining of, warrior yeah. is also back on crin
1: Is Paladine also the goddess of healing or is that someone no, else? No, that's well? Mishakal. Mishakal okay, yeah, it's complicated basically, they're bringing the gods back in the same time the dragons come back. Real quick, I wish this series was not named Dragonlance because the Dragonlances are not very important to the story. Absolutely true <laughs> <laughs> I kept expecting the Dragonlances to be this huge thing and then they're like, hey, we have the Dragonlances now, that's great, okay, bye the dragons but, are more important than the dragon lances. But dragon orb is a really bad name, even though it does treat predate dragon ball still, which mm-hmm. is also, let's be honest, not a great name. Uh, <laughs> want to talk about there's two characters I want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet, and that's Fizban and Lorana, or we've kind of talked about them. Fizzban is my other favorite character outside Tasselhoff because he is the definition of chaotic neutral for most of this. Surprising no one, he's got deeper plans. But he is, at least on the surface, an old wizard who probably has dementia. And the running gag of, like, what spell is that? Fireball? How do I do that? And being like, no, 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 stop no, no, no,
0: that. no, no,
1: no, no, like, almost every D&D player of all time, a player death happened because of Fireball. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the guy that set off the Fireball trap on accident. And in another one, the guy who set off Fireball, like, just played Fireball in a closed room, and the DM was like, are you sure? He's like, I know what I said. It did not go well. That was an all kobold campaign, which is amazing, by the Ooh. way. I love doing weird campaigns like that, because all cobalt meant that we all had shit stats. So the shit monsters that we usually never get to play with because they're not that dangerous suddenly were like viable opponents. Right. But Fizban is Dumbledore or Gandalf or Belgareth from the Belgariad. David Eddings once talked about enjoying making a character of that style, but in his case making him kind of a dirty old drunk. In Fizzband's case, just completely senile. Amazingly hilariously senile. I like... If you're going to do the big classic wizard trope, I like making them not just Gandalf, and
0: Gandalf is fine, but let's do something with the character. Thinking about it, too, he's technically a lot closer to being Gandalf than it seems on its surface. Oh, yeah. I love that apparently... We, Wise and Hickman
1: have used him in like six different series where he's like Nazfib, Fazbin. And he's like, What was my name? Fiz? Nope, can't use that one. And they're like, And people are like, Is is that Fizban? And they're like, Well, Fizban is owned by TSR. So clearly he's it's a not different character. <laughs> it's in the same way that the guy who created Mantis, like from Guardians of the Galaxy 2 brought versions of Mantis <laughs> to like three or four different series like oh. companies. He did a DC book and he had a character that talked like Mantis and had all of the same abilities of Mantis and was like, this one comes from really far away. <laughs> totes, not Mantis, a totes, not Fizban. That's amazing. I will say I have never liked the wizard character class much.
0: I've always yeah, I don't like playing wizards. I love playing magic users. I do not like playing wizards. I have always preferred
1: playing sorcerers because the sorcerers they have a lot less prep and I am not a good prep
0: guy. A bit of a warlock guy myself. See, to
1: my opinion, uh, the, the warlocks didn't come up much until fourth edition and I've not played much fourth or fifth. So for me, sorcerer. But I liked the Crin magic system. And I mean, it's just the D&D one of like, but explaining why they have to prepare these spells each day. And they did it in a way of like, the words of magic can't stick. They're just too powerful. So you have to relearn them every day. I thought it was really interesting and gave a flavor to wizards in a way that I had never gotten just from D and i I'm going to ask this question and then we'll talk about Lorena and then we'll get out of here. Sure. Um, you Tyler Reese. What's your classes? You play D and D. I'm sure you've thought of this before. I, I mean, I just I'm warlock. <laughs> okay, so I don't act As I said, I, I they were in three five, but they weren't one of the like in the yeah. core books. What is different from a warlock than like just a sorcerer? Um, they've
0: made a pact to get there. Ah, I made a deal with the devil. Basically, okay, not necessarily always a devil. There's like fey I made pact. a deal with the fay. I. Harry dresden my way through this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they're, I mean, I think even with 5e, they're testing out new things where it's like, I made a pact with the Elder Gods. Ooh, shit. Yeah, okay. Um, I always thought that I was a
1: barbarian or a Bard Sorcerer. My wife is very, very certain that I'm a Bard Wizard. Uh, I went with like Bardbarian or Bard Fighter because I am large and unsubtle and I hit like a truck apparently when I play Bellagarth. <laughs> uh barred because I have the skill. I know a guy. I'm not a great performer for the most part, says the guy performing on a podcast right now. But almost any time someone's like, oh, shit, I need this. I'm like, oh,
0: I might know someone. I'll like uh, let me think about it and get a hold of you. Um, Uh, and I mean, I don't know, like, if I was to really boil down what class am I, like, it's not like I've actually made a pact with anything, so it'd be hard to... (laughs) But you 100% would. I know you. Yeah. Um, (laughs) it's... I don't know. I'm after knowledge in that same way, though.
1: Yeah. I could see Warlock coming up. She said wizard because I value knowledge and I
0: really value books. Mm. Really value books. Um... And if you want to be technical about it, in some ways Raced is a little bit closer to being a warlock than a standard wizard, but because Fistandantalon
1: Yeah, Fisty. Fisty. Yep. Going <laughs> to go with that. I don't know who he is because he was the annoying foreshadowing for Please Give Us More Books in this one. Yeah. But I know he was a big nasty wizard that the weird scroll chronicler guy recognized somehow, whatever. Oh, yeah, Astinus. Yeah. It was kind of cool. I thought it was a neat idea. A guy that just lives forever and records everything that happened. He's basically destiny of the endless. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah, he's almost exactly destiny of the endless.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the last character of this, of Lurana. And then we're at almost two hours already. Holy shit, guys. Uh, Turns out there's a lot that goes into Dragonlance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, this is fun, though, because we got to talk about all these characters, and I fucking love it. I kind of knew we were going
1: to talk about the characters more than we were going to... And there are a bunch more characters that we're not going into, because, as we said, there's so many people in here that we just don't have time.
0: Yeah, like, fuck... um, I wanted so much more. Fuck uh, Gilthinus. Porthos? No, that's from Shakespeare. Yeah. The (laughs) Porthos, or his older brother, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the...
1: The black smithy that helps a bunch of people escape from slavery oh, and gets a um, fucking robot arm. I wanted a hundred thousand pages about Iron Forge. Was it Iron Forge? I'm pretty sure it was Barrow's Iron Forge.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, and then there's Baron, who again was the Deus Ex Machina because they needed to finish this book. <laughs>
0: yeah, the fucking green gemstone man. Well, and we haven't really talked about Kit. Okay, so Lorana Kit, get out of here. Because Kit is
1: important. Lorana. at first is sort of Arwen from the books and then kind of becomes Arwen more from the movies where she's allowed to do more things. Yeah, that's fair. And she does get way better because what impressed me on this book is I was not expecting much. I was expecting them to have a female fighter, a woman fighter character. And have her be Tika, basically. Of like, she's oh. not a great fighter, but she's there. But she tries hard. And then we're allowed some really badass fighters. And Lorana at first felt like she was going to be another Tika. And then goes completely out of left field. I hated her when we first met her. And
0: well, she, and she's kind of intentionally annoying when yes, you first meet her.
1: Lorana hated Lorana from when she first met her real quickly. was like, oh, shit. She's entitled Rich Girl at first. Yeah. And I don't like that, like, love of a man is what makes her grow beyond that. And she's like, he's right. I didn't deserve his love. I'm like, you gotta stop fucking idolizing Tanis. Tanis is kind of a piece of shit. I get why he Although makes the he choices he makes. he tells her but that, too. Yes. What forgives Tanis is everyone looks up to Tanis, and Tanis is like, please stop doing that. <laughs> I do not. I will know fail what's happening. Then <laughs> they're like, "How could you fail at this?" He's like, "I fucking told
0: you. I, I one hundred percent told all of you I was going to fail at this." <laughs> what I like is
1: Lorana picks up Tannis's
0: slack, but not
1: just to like to forgive Tannis, but like just because she's capable of it. Yeah, Tannis fell in love with her in a lot of ways because he saw what she could be. And because she's immortal and the daughter of the king, she never had to grow up in a way that a lot of other characters did. So Until she, she leaves. Yes. And then she grows up real fast. And I enjoyed that she was immediately wildly out of her depth, but being like, well, fuck, they were right. Okay, I guess I gotta, like, do this. She was spoiled, but she wasn't entitled really quickly. hmm And then she becomes fun because she becomes oh shit, I'm in charge cause I'm because I'm smart. Because is a fucking Katiara. Because <laughs> I'm smart. And I kept expecting, she's like, I'm helping out Elistan. I'm like, Elistan is going to be evil. And then no, he just kind of disappears. Yeah. Uh, Elistan, He's one fine. of the like 40 characters that is not that
0: important. He's a plot device again. I, I kind of dislike Elistan because he makes um, Gold Moon a little bit less important. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I'll give you that. Elistan's a cleric. He's the second cleric. But because he's he's the one that's supposed to bring the world to Paladine rather than the first cleric to bring the info to him.
1: Elistan is the ultimate. A woman accomplished this amazing thing, and then a man stepped in to get credit for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we have Kitiara, who's a great villain, and a lot of people are like, these days I'm on Kitiara's side. I'm like, no, why? Stop it.
0: (laughs) Uh, you brought it up earlier, inherently selfish. Uh, older half-sister to Caramon and Rae Absolutely capable in everything she does. She's a fucking baller. That doesn't mean that I like her
1: as a person. No, but she is. She's super cool. She doesn't put up with anybody's shit, including the undead Lord Soth. I guess we're going to talk about... Un- I knew we were going to talk about someone else. That'll be quick. Rides a fucking dragon with a lame-ass name like Sky. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was trying to remember her. <laughs> and doesn't deal name. with anyone's shit. Her one character
0: flaw, like... And openly just uses a ton of fuckboys.
1: Yes, her one <laughs> character flaw from a plot device is she's a little too, like, uh, Tannis. But even then, she's like, Fuck you, Tannis. Like, which I appreciated. But I don't... There's no, like these days I side with Kitiara because she's the one that sided with evil for power. Yeah. And I have no patience with siding for evil for power. Oh, I'm not actually evil. I just saw advantage. Siding against the status quo because the status quo is broken. And like, but being more complicated than that, sure. But like, no, she just wants to take
0: over the world because she wants to be in charge. That's not better. No. No. Uh, All right, you invoked his name. Lord Loren Soth, Knight of the Black Rose.
1: It's amazing how important Soth is for a character who is a complete background character because sometimes they had to fight someone other than Katiara. And he still dominates every scene that he's in. Fucking Soth is so cool. He's basically just a lich. He's Boba Fett of this. Yeah, you're right. Oh my God, you're right. Soth is super responsible for the cataclysm because they're like, there's a way to stop the cataclysm. And he's like, I'm going to fuck an elf lady instead and then murder her unjustly. Yeah.
0: Um, Got former Salomnic knight of the Rose uh, cheated on his wife with this elf chick um, was given a chance by the gods to redeem himself by giving information on how to go stop the cataclysm with the knowledge that he would have to sacrifice his life uh, in the process while on the way to go do that, gets stopped by some elf maidens who were sent there presumably by Takasis. I assume evil god, someone who wants the cataclysm to happen. And convinced him that his elf mistress was cheating on him. So instead of stopping the cataclysm, he goes back and And murders murders her. her. Which one,
1: totes rational reaction, and two, super cool, To hold cheating against someone when it's your side piece in the first place.
0: She curses him as she's dying. He's now a death knight who is uh, kept awake at all times by screaming banshees from the souls of the elf maidens that got him to turn back. I'm going to put this out there. That curse fucking backfired. Because now he's one
1: of the most powerful things ever? Yes. Yes. Like, I'm going to curse you for doing this, but you're not really going to care that much about it because you've lost all, like, sense of morality, and the world is fucked because of it. Like, oh, man, if you were, like, punishing him for making an evil choice, making him the undead lich king, basically, was maybe not the way to go about it. Yeah, and fucking, what, power word kill? (laughs) Yeah, basically, and, like, crazy fear and... Oh, Soth is cool Soth is why isn't Hickman don't approve of a fact that a book was written where he meets Strahd, the like Dracula wannabe from the Ravenloft books yep but I really want to read that now
0: I think I have it in the other room uh, I'll just get the audio let's be honest um I know. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember for my own sake I'm like I'm I should own that
1: they were like we don't really approve but also they're they own the character so it's fair and everyone's like yeah, we don't know how a feel about it because Soth Creator doesn't like it, but it's still really good. It's kind of like the Watchmen series. Yeah. Not
0: that good from the review, but like it's the only thing I don't like about it is how often because it's a Ravenloft book that Strahd has to get one up over on Soth.
1: Yeah, that's fair. It's Ravenloft,
0: <laughs> which I mean, is
1: the vampire obsessive D&D. Like this is post-apocalypse D&D. Black Sun is the more post-apocalypse D&D. Or Dark Sun? I don't remember. Something like
0: that. Ravenloft is the gothic horror D&D. If you're going to turn Universal Dracula into an entire setting...
1: Mm-hmm. Then that's it's what we Ravenloft. got. Ravenloft.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. I think There's that's... a lot of bullshit that we could go into in the plot, but we're not going to. We're at we've two hours, guys.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and... It, it really is really generic these days. We could talk, I think, a lot about the dragons, and maybe we'll just save that for a different episode. And especially because you learn, if you do eventually get to the War of Souls, you learn even more about the dragons, and it might be neat then. Color dragons, bad. Metallic
1: dragons, good. Bam. You get the basics of Mm -hmm. it. Uh, It's generic, but it's fun because it's... Don't go into this expecting lord of the rings or i'm trying to think of like you know genre changing i mean it kind of was genre changing but mostly like this isn't high literature this is popcorn fantasy novels but that's okay because popcorn's fun in the same way that i love star
0: wars um and if somebody out there wants to ask me why racelin I could probably come up with like a 20 minute speech we on could it. could just do a Raceland episode with you, let's be honest. Probably not a full episode, but if somebody were to ask me why Raceland, I might actually take the time to respond to them. So <laughs> uh, just be warned, it could be lengthy. All right, I'll read the twin trilogy and we can do a Raceland man episode. Um,
1: <laughs> um, check yeah. it out. I really, if you haven't read it, it really is worth your time. The voice actor on Audible is very good. Oh, that's good to know. Since I don't um, listen to these, I'm always hoping that that's the case. <laughs> he pronounces things a little differently from you. So I was like, "Who the fuck is?" This? He, I think he says Takasis instead of. Oh, I've never tachesis. known how to say her fucking name anyway. No, because so. it's a bunch of syllables with a couple of wa- or a, it's a bunch of consonants with a couple of vowels tossed in every. It once always a while. reminded me of
0: toxic. While yeah, looking at it, it, your so. name made perfect sense. What else does he say differently? I'm now I'm curious. That was the main one. Because some of them are probably more accurate than whatever the fuck I said.
1: (laughs) Uh, I think he pronounced a couple of the towns differently, but I don't know it well. I don't know those towns well enough to pronounce them either way. Oh, gotcha. Check out Dragonlance. Check out Dragonlance.
0: If you're fucking into D&D, check out Dragonlance. Yes.
1: (laughs) I avoided it for years. I'm like, I'll generic. No. Read it. Um, Any recommendations? Okay, I'll do some recommendations and you'll desperately look around this room. Magic of editing. We could have fixed this, but we never do. So I've got two. First one's really short and it is the stay of home cast by creator Paul F. Tompkins and his wife, who is an actress who deserves to be recognized in her own right. But I do not have the information in front of me and I just discovered her today and I'm not good at names. Uh, And it's their quarantine podcast that I think once a week, it might be every two weeks. They just put out a new week and they're just kind of chronicling their Quarantine experience and I've only listened to the first episode so far. It's not perfect, but it's fun. It is Relatable in a way. I mean you and I never stayed home. So I there's a few things that they're experiencing that we just At this point. I kind of wish I was experiencing Yeah. Essential worker burnout is real y'all oh, So real um so real. I'm not going to too far into it because one It's just a recommendation and two because I'm only listening to the first episode Uh, Next one is going to be the the Baldur's Gate comic books that are currently coming out from IDW Entertainment written by Jim Zub. Jim Zub is becoming one of my favorite comic writers right now, not because he's the best, but because he's consistently good and he is consistently comfortable writing either superhero or fantasy. And I'm on a super big fantasy comic kick lately. And he has he wrote uh, Skull Kickers, which has already been one of my recommendations. He has written Conan the Barbarian several times. He's taking over the Marvel Conan book. He did the Red Sonia Conan crossover book with Gail Simone, which is one of my favorite fantasy books of the last ten years. Uh, and he's been doing the Baldur's Gate books, where he's continuing to tell the stories of Minsk and Boo, mm. who were in the. Games and some other things. But Mingskin Boo is the beloved ranger who I thought was a barbarian because he's a big, dumb ranger (laughs) and his who's just super happy to be fighting for the cause of justice and his miniature giant space hamster Boo who might be a normal hamster, but I don't think he is because there's an entire issue of like, Boo saving them from, like, this group of assassins. Oh, okay. If nothing else, Boo is a smarter-than-normal hamster. Gotcha. But other than that, there is no proof that there is anything special about Boo. Hmm. And at one point, he gets put in an enlargement spell, and he's like, Yes! A giant miniature giant space hamster! And I'm like, oh my god, this is so perfect. This is, like, everything dumb about D&D that I love. It's just... Clearly, he loves writing fantasy, and clearly, he loves D&D, and this is just a celebration of that. Nice. I like that. Um, it's also what got me reading about Dragonlance, which got me reading about... Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Um, I'm going to go Please completely do. away from d and um, I'm going to recommend the movie Dog Soldiers, not only because I have a poster of up, up in the room, <laughs> uh, but because I also... After going through those Exorcist movies, was desperately trying to think of some horror movies I do like to sort of watch. <laughs> I need away. a palate cleanser, uh, and that one's just a really fun palate cleanser. Uh, Dog Soldiers is a um, British special forces unit that's out on a training patrol runs into a group of werewolves. Sweet, you don't often get um, horror movies, and especially ones that are. Like werewolf or like beast related, where the protagonists are actually all fully capable of fighting back. And this is one of those rare occasions. Uh, Neil Marshall, the director, uh, also directed some of the better episodes of Game of Thrones. Um, He did the recent Hellboy, which I won't hold against him. (laughs) Creators are allowed to make bad things. Yeah. He does a lot of really fun movies, though. So um, Dog Soldiers is. Way up there on on the fun. Plus, oh, it's man. good. Creators are allowed to make bad things. Makes
1: me want to review the D&D movie.
0: Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs>
1: but instead, come back to us next week where we're going to review Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Which we have just been furiously talking up from the very first episode. And I'm really, general,
0: from episode zero. <laughs> if I'm going to be completely honest, I'm already worried because I don't know what else we can say that a bunch of other people haven't already said about this movie. But at the same time, that gives me something extra to think about all this week, and I'm super looking forward to it. Just going to talk about why I love Spider-Man. Yeah, that <laughs> works. Uh, End of the Spider-Verse next week. That's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, I'm already looking forward to it. I might watch that tonight as a fucking palate cleanser. I'll tell you what. Yeah, I'll probably listen to the soundtrack on the way home. I got the 4K. What up, danger? Um, In order to listen to that next week, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. That'd be super cool. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that is even cooler because the world is ran on algorithms, and this is all online shit, baby. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, To go along with that, please go check out the website, www.generalnerdcast.com. I don't know why I had to think about that so hard. Um, You've only done this like... 35 times now i almost said fried because i was just talking about dog soldiers yeah but. no that's a very fried squirms thing uh generalnerdcast.com check out all our back catalog there while you're there you can go click the links up at the top we are part of the Earworm podcast network go check out the other shows on the network listen to me talk about horror movies like dog soldiers <laughs> which we have covered on there <laughs> uh, over on fried squirms zach
1: You can listen to me talk about uh, war and wargaming and all that with my buddy Malark on the art of
0: wargaming. More shit to come. We're actively
1: talking about it, people. I literally have spent all day working on, like, upcoming projects. It's closer than it's ever been before. We said that last week.
0: That's still how time works. (laughs) Uh, in order to keep up with all of that as it drops, the easiest place will be to check out verm.com. That is E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can contact us through our website or by emailing us generalnerderypod at gmail.com. We would really love to hear from you. Uh, like I said, ask me, why Raceland? <laughs> <laughs> um, check out our social media. Search for General Nerdery will be what pops up. In the
1: meantime, I believe that's it. Uh, We're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed.